At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. It's time for another season of The Palmetto Porch, an original podcast from Discover South Carolina. I'm Devin Whitmire. Join me as I get to the heart of what makes South Carolina such a great place to visit by speaking to the locals who make it so special. Premiering December 5th, find The Palmetto Porch wherever you get your podcasts. And for more information about our show, visit scpalmettoporch.com. Frightfest preview series 2018 and today's guest is Alexis Kendra. Hello. Hello, thank you for having me. You're very welcome, you're very welcome. Now we're here because there's a world premiere going on at Frightfest, isn't there? Yes, yes, yes. Our uh, our film is premiering on the uh, the 24th, which is a Friday, I believe, on oh. the uh, on two screens. So we're really excited about and that. And what's the name of your film? The film, right, is called The Cleaning Lady. It's an important part of telling people that bit, I think. And do you want to give us a brief, before we go into any details, do you want to give us a brief synopsis to what The Cleaning Lady is about? Yeah, sure. I mean, you know, the film is really much about this this uh, burn victim housekeeper. She pretty much becomes increasingly and more and more psychotically obsessed with this woman whose apartment she cleans. Uh, and and so that's the overall sort of broad strokes. And there's other there's obviously other layers to what the film is about. But I would say that's an overall sense of what it is. It's it's definitely a slow burn, which are, are films that I I always enjoy in horror. Although I like all kinds of horror, but I especially always really love the ones that took their time, where you got to know the characters and then you know everybody involved, and it really builds into this really crazy situation. And that's what uh, John Kanats, my co-writing partner and the director, really tried to do. No, indeed, indeed, and we'll get into that in a minute. But before we get into more, more of a conversation about about the clean lady, let's let me ask you a question about about yourself first. And everybody, okay. everybody that's come on the podcast so far has I've asked them to sort of draw on an early or a first memory of watching horror films. What was it? Where were they? How? Who did they watch it with? Etc. So. For you, for you, what, where do, what what bus station do you get on at for horror? Okay, um, so I'm thinking about this. I got into horror, so I'm from Chicago, mm-hmm. and I currently live in Los Angeles, where I've been for quite a bit of time now. And my family loves comedies, right? So I really grew up not watching horror. My mom actually had a an experience with The Exorcist that, like, 
almost put her in the hospital. So she, she kept horror away from, from all of us, me and all my sisters. And it really wasn't until I moved out to Los Angeles and I was like on my own and I don't have family out here. So I was, you know, in the video store when there were video stores and I was like, what's this? I, I mean, I had heard of all of these films, but I had never seen any. And I believe the first one I picked up, it was, I think it was Martyrs. That's that's what that's actually the first um, horror film that's coming to mind. I have a memory of myself in this little studio apartment in North Hollywood. I had this little fake fireplace, and it was me alone watching this film. And that film, I believe, changed my life. Yeah, you 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 jumped in with Martyrs. Yeah, I did. <laughs> the original, right? Not yeah. not the remake. Yeah, 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 yeah. So. I mean, just I mean, I I made a I made a similar viewing error of watching it on my own. I think I watched it at one a.m. and at three yeah. at three a.m. when it finished, I desperately needed someone to talk to. And yeah. obviously, there's not many people at three a.m. willing to take a phone call. Right. <laughs> what was your memory of when of, of it finishing? Because it kind of that's a film that kind of redefined horror in the 21st century. Yeah, I think I was just, you know, because I'm also a production designer and I'm so drawn, like even living in my studio, it was just so it was impeccably designed, in my opinion. You know, I mean, I didn't really have any money at the time. So every nothing really matched. But it, I just thought it was just so beautiful. So that movie was beautiful to me. I thought despite how horrific it was, I thought aesthetically it was it was so stunning that I, I couldn't I couldn't take it. I couldn't believe it. So I was left feeling inspired. I I kind of had those goosebumps and like I was almost high. Right. And I don't, I don't do drugs, but I had that high of like, I was like above, you know, like I was, I was high basically. So I was hooked. No, and, no, I think, I think that's a good, you basically went straight in for like a cocaine of horror. <laughs> I really, I really went there and I've never even done it. So, um, but I just know that feeling of, uh, just being so thrilled, but I was also really uh, upset and terrified by by the ending of that film. That I was, I sort of couldn't sleep either, and I was like, "Why is this? Why is this upsetting me so much?" But at the end of the day, why people ask me all the time, "Why do you write horror instead of comedy or, or whatever?" And I believe that horror is the biggest escape from reality on earth. That's oh. you know that. That's safe, right? Safe. And I mean, I guess there's some other stuff you can do. But for me, a horror film is it. Well, the other thing, the other, the, the, the other the sort of um, longstanding joke is people who make horror have a laugh and people who make comedy are miserable. <laughs> if, if that makes That's that kind of running joke, I think. In, in, uh... That's awesome. Yeah, yeah I, I can completely see that. Yes. <laughs> now, now you, you co-wrote this, uh, the, the screenplay with John. Um, mm -hmm. So what, what, Let's start with the, with the sort of building blocks for this. Um, what was the kernel of the idea that, 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 that began, that started the ball rolling on writing the film The Cleaning Lady? Okay, so this is a twofold answer. So the, the first part is, uh, I'll start with John. So John used to work at a, this like old movie theater in Canada. It was one of his earlier jobs in his life, way before I knew him. And he worked as a projection, uh, projectionist in the projection booth. Mm-hmm. And he worked with this man in this booth that took this very kind of vested interest in him 
uh, even though the guy was very shy and never spoke about himself and was very much always about John, who is he dating? What is he interested in? You should do this. How about it was sort of, you know, uncomfortable for John. Right. And and one day this particular guy needed a ride home for whatever reason. So John drove him home and they started driving and they reached a forest and John assumed, OK, well, we'll just continue. Obviously, he doesn't live here. But the guy said, OK, go ahead and stop. And John was like, are you kidding? Like, what do you mean? And he's like, yeah, yeah, this is good. I'll go from here. And then John watched the man walk into the woods. So that's true. That part happens in The Cleaning Lady. We did not make that up, right? That actually happened. So John had that memory um, for his entire life. And mm. and he had been telling me this as we write and create horror. Um, we had always wanted to put that in a film. And then I had a, an experience of this girl when I was in seventh grade, her name was Shelly actually. Mm. <laughs> and um, she's like, kind of interesting looking a little on the nerdy side and she had no friends. And that really broke my heart. I can't handle, I couldn't take it. She would sit alone, alone at lunch and eat her sandwich while I'm there with all my friends and I couldn't take it at all. So I, I walked up to her one day and I said, Hey Shelly, why don't you join us? You know, and then I started, I taught her how to put makeup on and I just, I befriended her very similarly to what our lead does, you know, to the maid Shelly in, in the cleaning lady. And, um, what, what ended up happening, it's not this horrific story. I took it further in my film, but you know, my friends started to get really mad at me and I started to have a hard time even fitting in anymore with my, my friends, because they were like, why are, why are you including her? Why do you, why are you showing her how to put makeup on? And so Shelly sort of just kind of stuck to me, you know? So now it was kind of like me and Shelly. When that's not, I just wanted her to join my friends. I had, I never thought my friends would care. Why couldn't we have another friend? So that was my thinking, but it ended up with pretty much just like me and Shelly. And that just, and she was very nice. And, and, and I only have nice things to say about her, but, um, so I took that situation of someone sort of just kind of, you know, you kind of befriend someone that you feel bad for, for whatever reason, and then they kind of stay hmm. um, and you weren't expecting that. So I took, we took that idea with John's, you know, experience with this man who walked away into the woods where he lived apparently and, and created this sort of psychological horror film. And when, when you were, when you were writing it, was, was you, was you always, was it always with a view to you playing the role of Alice? No, I was supposed to play Shelly. Really? Pissed about it. <laughs> <laughs> Don't tell Rachel. No kidding. Rachel was amazing. I love her. She was in my first film I produced, Goddess of Love. She nailed it. I was thrilled with her. But we did a short film. Mm. Uh, mm. So before we did The Cleaning Lady to Raise the Financing, where I played Shelly. Okay. And uh, mm -hmm. the girl who played Helen in The Cleaning Lady, she was Alice. So we just kind of changed the roles up a bit. And, um, I loved it. I loved it. I loved it. It was like one of my favorite roles and it was a short film, right? But it made more sense given our budget, uh, logistics, blah, 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 blah for me to play Alice. But I'll always hold that role very close to my heart, um, in that short because Shelly was a really, can I swear? You can, yeah. Okay, good. Because Shelly was, is a really fucking cool role <laughs> and Rachel killed it. And I hope people, I hope people uh, respond to her the way I, I did. So, yeah, there's, there's, um, there's, there's a cleverness to the, my, uh, a phrase my mother used to use was, uh, was creeping Jesus. You know, if you just appear as a child and you'd be like, where the fuck did you come from? 
You're like right. she used to say, "You're like creeping Jesus." I'm not quite sure what Jesus is doing creeping around, but it was a fa- <laughs> right. so when I fir- when that first happened in the film, I'm like, "Yeah, that's that's creeping Jesus for you." Uh, oh yeah, completely. Yes. So, um, sorry, that was just an aside. Uh, in in uh, before we started the, the podcast, I was sort of saying that one, and, and you've you've you mentioned the idea about about slow burn, and but but it but it isn't that we just go, okay, this is kind of meandering. You you give us a big opening, which is to which is given us all the clues we need as to where this might go. So where does that idea come from of the uh, with the rats? Oh, is that what you meant? Oh, um, where did that come from? You know, I have to say that was uh, that was one hundred percent John the rats. Mm. I had this different opening idea, I think, but we wanted look we okay so we you know. As horror fans ourselves, we were like, you know, we want people to know they're in a horror film mm. because there's, uh, you know, although there's horror spattered throughout with the B story and, she- you know, with Shelly as a young girl and you get to kind of see all the shit she went through. I mean, it's definitely hor- horrifying, you know, subtly and maybe not so subtly, but we really wanted to just sort of open it with being like, hey, guys, this this is going to be a really fucking crazy story and and come with us. So this is what you're going to get. You know, mm. it's going to start like this and then it's going to slowly build and then you're going to get more of that later. Yeah, no, I, f- I felt like what you've done is, you know, in, in terms of the old, the old fashioned sense of um, Alfred Hitchcock saying, if you show the bomb and then you go back to the action, you essentially put the bomb on the table and let us watch the bomb. Yeah. Uh, with the idea of kind of knowing what might be wrong in terms of Shelley is, is you're waiting to know what's wrong. And obviously you, you guide us through all that and begin to unpeel it. But the the fascinating thing I found from an audience point of view is that Alice isn't party to this, so we know Alice is getting more and more in trouble. Yet she thinks something's a bit odd, but she doesn't remotely think she's in trouble, which I think is an interesting dramatic dynamic to to, to portray. Well, right. I mean, that's what's so fun. I think about horror films. You know, when when you are with the lead or some character, and you're going, "Oh God, don't do that," or "Or oh, do it," or "Go," or you're sort of like there with her, and you just know this impending doom. I, I love tension. I love tension. We really tried, um, you know, really hard to create tension. We wanted just tension dripping in all of in all of the scenes so you know hopefully that comes across even if it's subtle it's definitely there and yeah no i think i think it definitely works so it'll definitely work for cool. me anyway um what where where does the notion of lovesick therapy come from is that a real thing oh uh it's sex and love addicts anonymous it is a real thing yes i went to a couple of those for some research and yes it's real it's real and um they don't have that in england I think, well, I think I've heard of sex addiction as an issue, but it, just, it struck me. I mean, I guess maybe it's more about the Alice character, I suppose, who who just wants to be loved. I always think of like the the sex addict of being like the Charlie Sheen or or yes. or Russell Brand. You know, those people that yes. say, I can't stop shagging everybody because right. I'm a sex addict. Whereas <laughs> Alice's character strikes me as being someone who just wants somebody to love, and she's picked the wrong fella. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's picked someone who cannot possibly be there for her on any way that she deserves. So, yeah, yeah there's, there's sex. Uh, I think it's I forget what it's called, but there's sex addiction meetings where it's just for shagging, as you yeah. say. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and then there's sex and love 
um, addicts anonymous where you will find many, 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 many more people that go that have like an emotional attachment to someone that really can't give them what they need. And it's almost like a codependency. So, you know, someone that's, you know, maybe flirting with a married man, they might just walk away and never do it again because that man is married. But Alice, because she has this codependency, which can stem from her childhood, which we don't get into in the film. But for whatever reason, she has this connection to this man that she's having an almost impossible time breaking. And that these meetings with the help of her sponsor are helping her break away from what is dysfunctional and ultimately hurting her you know, ironically, doesn't end up hurting her anywhere near as bad as what ends up happening. Of course, but, yeah. So that was the, the ironic part about the film. It was fascinating. I don't know if you've seen any of the press over here. There's a, there's, a, there's a piece that's been done for the British Film Institute about sort of previewing Fright Fest, and it's sort of listed about nine films, I think it is, where sort of there's, the, there's politics at the heart of the, of the horror, and this guy, Anton Patel, who's, who's written the piece, has picked out Cleaning Lady as one of the films at Fright Fest, which has got a kind of political edge to it. And I don't know, I don't know what you thought of this. He, said, he, he describes how, it, um, how you kind of play off... A, a part, of the, part of the playoff is the haves versus have-nots. You know, this woman who's the cleaning lady, invisible, da-da-da-da, and this, this glamorous woman, Alice, who seems to have it all, the luxury apartment and everything... Um, as being like a, a sort of portrait of the kind of extremes in America full stop is the sort of ways looking at it. Had you thought had you thought about that explicitly in the film, or is that a consequence of what you what you actually wrote? Um <laughs> what? <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Um I missed the second half um the accent. Is is my, I love this is my, actually my favorite accent. One okay. I have a very okay. difficult time emulating, but can you ask the second half please? Again. The, the second oh, just it was just more w- w- did you were you was it an explicit job of what you were trying to do to sort of give that portrait of modern America, the idea of the, the haves and the have-nots? And obviously you dial up to 11 with the way the horror pans out. But but you've got this, you know, the cleaning lady who's like the epitome of being invisible. And you've got a glamorous beautician who's the epitome of being visible. <laughs> right, right. No, you know, I don't. What I love about any genre of film really are people's interpretations of what they see and what they experience because that's theirs. And I, I always respect that. I appreciate that. And I have my own opinions and experiences, even if it is a comedy, even if it's not a horror film. So that is not something that we actually uh, sat down and methodically wrote out or anything. But I think that we, what we really were aiming for um, was to have a story about a woman who thinks she has it bad. And I think we all can relate like, Oh, I'm, I'm depressed or I didn't get this raise or I don't have enough money or there's all these like problems or I can't stop seeing the married man. And we think we, you know, and they're all relative and I'm, I'm mm. sure they're all painful, right. In their own right, in their own reason. But you know, you kind of have someone that open opens the film with these little kind of things, but her, the end is so much more horrific. It's, it's so, it's so much worse than these little petty things. It makes the beginning look a little petty in a way. Mm. It's like, wow, if only I could go back to those couple little issues that I that I was having, you know, because now the end, you know, and where it goes, and I'm, I don't want to give it away, but it's a horror film, so obviously it gets really fun and mm. fucked up, and, you know, it's it's way worse than she could have ever imagined. So that that was what we wanted to really get across as a way of really kind of underhandedly saying, hey, guys, enjoy your life. 
You know, it's not that bad. Whatever you think is going on or whatever is going on, it could be so much worse. And that was important to us. No, no, I think, you know, I think you encapsulate perfectly the idea of we, we live in a life of woe is me and we can, right. get, we can put that all out of proportion and then the minute shit hits the fan properly, right. the, the right. woe is me element just evaporates, doesn't it? Uh, now, there's just me and you talking now. So thinking of John as a director, he's never going to hear this. Um, what what sort of what sort of director do you do you find John to be into and and what does what does he what does he allow for the actors to do in terms of what's wanted out of each out of each scene or sequence? Well, how much time do I have? <laughs> I mean, I I have I have the nicest things to say about this director. That are, okay, let's start. Uh, David Fincher, John. Yeah. Knots, in my opinion, um, is and I wonder if you saw any of that in The Cleaning Lady or in, in any of his other films. But John reminds me of Fincher a lot because he is a true craftsman, mm-hmm. and he has trained me. I've been working with him for five years now. Uh, you know, two features: a short with Missy Pyle and Omar J. Dorsey, a short for The Cleaning Lady, and a couple other smaller things. But mm-hmm. I, he is so meticulous. You know. Some of the shot, not some, every single shot that you see was planned a month in advance. Okay. So this is not like, oh, here's the camera, and that's an art form. That's cool. But John doesn't, he, he's a planner. Hmm. And everything from, you know, the flower on an angle. I mean, we, you can, I can't even tell you how many times he would say cut in the middle because the, uh, there was a pillow that was not angled a bit where the light would just softly hit it and then bounce back off on the actress's jaw. I mean, that is how particular he is. And in working with him as a production designer is a pleasure because he understands art. You know, he looks up to all, you know, Fincher is actually one of his favorite directors and Kubrick, of course. Um, but, you know, he's, he's extremely meticulous. And then working with him as an actress, right? Because I'm mm-hmm. switching hats now. Yeah. Um, what I love about him compared to other films I've, I've done not to put anybody down, but John's style, he like, I don't know. I could, I never played sports, but I, I almost can like maybe compare it to sports. He gets right in there with you. You almost feel like he's in the scene. Like he'll look you in the eye and he's like, talk to me. All right. And he's like right there. And then when he yells cut, he's so elated that he got the shot and he'll make you do a billion, a billion takes uh, one billion. Yeah. <laughs> one, one billion and it gets really, that's the only part and if he were here he would be laughing about that but he's uh he's an actor's director and 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 that's and he always will be i couldn't imagine him changing but he he gives you the creative freedom and the creative space to bring the character to life even if you do something that's so bad like i made some choices he was like no 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 don't, don't that was bad <laughs> Really? I'm like, okay. yeah, I'm just, I wasn't feeling that. You're right. And then we laugh about it. He's like, how about this, though? And then he has this idea. And he's got this thrill and this excitement. And what I love about John, and I'll end on this with him, is he does not move on until he gets the shot that he wants. And he's a perfectionist. So that does mean many, many, many takes. But you know you can trust him. You know that your performance is going to be cradled. So if I ever do any film as an actress, it's like, oh, I need to work with John because I, I, I need to trust that my performance is going to, that I'm going to look good on screen, not from a vanity standpoint, but from a, an actor standpoint. You know, I want to make sure my character arcs and the tone is right and, you know, everything that actors, you know, worry about. And, um, and he, he makes that his priority. So 
when you when you couple quality performances with design and production design, uh, you have you you get art, and that's what John fights for, and that's why everybody loves him and, and wants to continue to work with him again. I know I do. Well, you gave me a nice segue there. So how how do you sort of change change hats, as it were, from being obviously the star on the behind the cat in front of the camera and production designing for the film as well. How does that, how does that work? How do you make that work for you? Yeah. I, I think I'm like, I might be crazy. <laughs> is that, like, is that, is that a strategy? <laughs> I think it is. I don't, I don't know. I think, uh, I don't know. I think, um, I've, I've learned a lot from the, I don't know if I would wear quite as many hats, although I said that after goddess of love, my mm. first feature. And then here I am again doing it, but you know, uh, it really, I just, I'm a filmmaker and John has, has really been training me all of these years where there's pretty much nothing else in life that I would rather be doing. I, I, you know, I love, I'm Polish, right? So I love working hard. <laughs> we work very hard, <laughs> but I, I do, I, I, I love, um, and design is one of my biggest passions as well. So when I get to be somewhere every day where I, if I had a crystal ball and it said, what, what do you want? I, I would say, I want to be, I want to be making a film today, doing all of this stuff. And, and, and I get to do that, you know, it's looking like every year, year and a half. And, um, I'm just very, very grateful. I'm very, very grateful. And I, I don't know. I had a lot of coffee. Maybe that's the short answer. So but t talking about the production, Daniel, you, it's obviously very, two very different, two very different worlds to create. You've got the opulence of Alice's apartment and then you've got, the other extreme you got where Shelly, where Shelly resides. Oh, and that was so fun. Oh my God. That we shot that on a ranch. Okay. Um, yeah. Like where there's horses. So this where, guy, I was going to yeah. say, so wait, wait, when you're shooting someone like a ranch, I had this conversation with, um, with Jen Wexler about production dine on, on the Ranger, which is also playing at Fright Fest. And, and, and I was like, production dine in the forest. I'm like, what would you, uh, so, so when you work, when you're shooting on, on, on a ranch, what, what, where does production design come in then? as far as making it what you need for the film. Oh my God. That was the most, that was the most fun I had, I think with the design, because I love designing the children's bedroom. So, I mean, we, we were there months in advance. We had mm -hmm. booked it. So I had all the photos. I had months of planning. Um, and I mean, I looked at the ranch as it was because here's what we needed. We needed a house that looked like a piece of shit. Okay. That's what we needed. Okay. And that just quite exists in LA really. That's isolated. I couldn't find it. I was like, if it was kind of decrepit and crappy, it was off a main road or there, it was in a cul-de-sac with a bunch of other houses, or it was next to a, a fire department where we knew the sirens would be going off. I mean, there was something wrong with everything that I found. And then I, I randomly, I had this assistant working with me in pre-production and she actually found it off a random ad. And there was this like old cowboy that lived there and he was always smoking, even though he told us we, none of us could smoke because the, the whole place will light up. And he was right. I mean, this was, it was as big as an amusement park. I've never seen the, it was so, so many acres and so many horses. It was almost dreamlike, but he lived in a house that didn't really have walls. Like that's real. He, there was no walls. Wow. There was like a bedroom and no walls, so coyotes could come in and out. And and I and there was oh right, sorry, you meant on the outside. I thought you meant inside. It was just a shell. You mean there was no walls to to stop you getting in? And that's what I'm. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. It was out in the open, but it still was the house. And I said, perfect. 
this can't be much, you know? So we, uh, yeah, we ended up working out a great deal, but just because, you know, uh, and this is where my attention to design and detail comes in just because the ranch was perfect. Doesn't mean it was ready to shoot. I mean, Mm. I, what I love about production design and I'll end on on this note is I love taking, you know, real life as we all know it because we're here, we're living this Mm. and then you elevate it. Even if it's a piece of crap ranch without walls, you still add that like falseness where it's like a little better than life would really be. And that's what I, so I added all the mannequin heads and I, I mean, I changed the house around to where it was almost unrecognizable. I never, we've never, I've never shot anywhere in my life as is. Okay. I always have fun. I don't know. Did I go on a tangent? No, not at all. That was perfect. No. Okay. Um, so, so it's world premiere and I guess, are you guys going to be in town? Yeah. Well, you know, we've actually, uh, moved on to, uh, another project. So John, unfortunately cannot be there, but I will be there. My executive producer will be there. A couple other investors will be there that we work with and my best friend, she's, she's coming along as well. So, um, yeah, no, John, he'll make it the next film. We have at Fright Fest. Hopefully he can make it. It's, um, we really, really all, I know they really wanted him this year, but mm. um, it just, he's shooting. So we couldn't. Indeed. Indeed. Well, look, Congratulations on the film, and 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 very excited for you to have the world premiere at Fright Fest. And just gives me to say thank you very much for coming on the podcast. Oh, it was such a pleasure. Anytime. The Britflix podcast is provided absolutely free. If you want to help me get the podcast out to more people, please take a moment to leave a review on iTunes. Or if you want to help me out directly, there's a link in the show notes to my Patreon page. All contributions are welcome. The music is by Chris Reed of thecomposers.tv. y'all Darius Rucker here you know a lot of people ask me what inspires your music and one of the big things is a strong sense of place that's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer from the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast it's got it all not to mention two of my personal favorites great golf and amazing food come see why I love this place visit discoversouthcarolina.com discover